when I first met Peter, I was overjoyed because uh, about that time, the DVD for the movie Zoolander had come out. You guys seen the movie Zoolander? And um, so in the scene when they're going to the movie premiere, they said uh, Derek Zoolander's hair was the white man's afro. And so I met Peter, and I told my, my superintendent, I said, he's got the white man's afro. And the guy didn't get it. So I'm like, you know, Zoolander, Derek's the white man's afro, spiky hair. Anyway, um, what I want to talk about this morning is something that got from my heart uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, my wife and I are refinancing our house. Um, you guys know the interest rates are real low right now. The current rate that we have is about 6.5%. We're able to lock in a rate about 4 and 3 quarters, somewhere around that rate. And so my wife has been busy uh, getting all the stuff together so we can refinance our house. Now, if you remember about five years ago when we first bought our house, to get a loan from the bank or a loan officer was simple. You would just simply stick out your arm and they'd feel right here. And if you had a pulse, they would just hand over money to you, Right. But now with the whole loan crunch and all this stuff going on, it's a lot more difficult. I mean, you have to go and put your head in the thing and do like a retinal scan on you, right? And you have to sign a billion papers. And they said, we need tax returns from the last 40 years. And I'm like, I'm only 38. And they said, it doesn't matter. We need 40 years of returns. And so my wife, the last two weeks before the holidays, not only has she been shopping and getting presents, but she's also been trying to get all these papers together to refinance. So about uh, two weeks ago, she called me. She was at, uh, uh, I think, the bank or one of the places getting all these papers together. And she said, Icky, uh, Kimmy and Grace have a play today they need to go to at 1130, and it looks like I won't be able to get done with it. So would you mind taking them to the play? And, you know, I'm trying to be the godly, God-honoring husband. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And the reason why I hesitated wasn't because I don't like spending time with my kids it was because the play was going to be at one of those small community theaters. It wasn't like Lion King on Broadway. It was like a small community theater, and um, it was with like a homeschool group. So my wife and I, we homeschool our kids, and the group there now is a little bit better, but the group there before, uh, it was like Little House on the Prairie. Like all the girls wore like dresses down to their ankles, and... And it was largely white, and I have nothing against white people. But I, it, just, it was awkward for me to go to these things because here I show up in my baggy jeans, you know, and they're, like, looking at me like he should be wearing, you know, like overalls and have a pitchfork or something. And I just, I never fit in. And so I was kind of hesitant because small community theater, uh, homeschool group, and on that day there's a bunch of other schools there as well. And so there's kids running around everywhere, and small community theater, and the name of the play was The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. I had never heard of it. You know, I mean, if it was like the Christmas Carol or like something like that, maybe I could at least understand what's going on, but they said it's going to be the best Christmas pageant ever. It's based on a book written by Barbara Robinson back in 1972, And again, I'd never heard of this play before, but it opens up with a monologue from Charlie Bradley, one of the children in the play, and he stands stage right, right about here, and he looks out to the audience, and he begins describing why he loves his local church so much. And you would think initially it would be like, well, because Pastor Peter Hong is my pastor, right? No, it's not that. He might say because of the preaching or because of small groups or because of the things that they do in the community to impact the community. He says, no, no. The reason why I like my church and Sunday school is because the Herdmans aren't there. 
And I'm like, what, what is he talking about? And he begins to name the Herdmans, uh, Emma Jean, Ralph, Ollie. Let me see if I get these all. Charlie, I know Claude. I wrote some of them down here just in case. Leroy and Gladys. Those are all of them, all six of the children. And he stands stage right in this corner. He begins to describe the Hermans. The Hermans, they're all bullies. They all fight. They lie. They steal. And they all smoke cigars, even the girls. <laughs> and the reason why he loves his local church is because the Herdmans aren't there. Everywhere else he goes, school, his neighborhood, the Herdmans are always there bullying him, taking his lunch money. And he says, this is the one place where the Herdmans don't show up, and I'm glad they don't show up. And so uh, Peter didn't tell you this, but I, I spent most of my time during seminary in a large African-American church. And so I'm, I'm used to like being exuberant, like I treat everything like it's a worship service. So there in my seat, I was about to stand up, cross my arms, say, my, my, my. Because isn't that how the local church is? Is that it's a place, it's a sanctuary for us to come to be protected from all the evils in the world and all the herdmans in our life. It's a place where we come to be protected, to be sheltered from the herdmans. And before I could stand up and say, my, 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 God spoke to me and said, before you stand up, son, remember that you've got some herdmans in your life. Uh, 2008 and 2009 were like the years in our local church, the year of mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar depression. And if you guys have ever experienced that or had family members with that, I mean, it is downright terrifying. I was hit with emails and phone calls out of left field just slamming me. And if those people never showed up in our church again, I would be happy. They were the herdmans in my life. And then there's that neighbor. Terry, you know those neighbors. They're right behind us. The, the, the husband, I don't know if he really has a real job. I think he's just in a rock band. And, and, and every year, July 4th, New Year's Eve, Halloween, they have a party. A loud party. And they know that the San Antonio Police Department is just scattered in a million different directions. So they know that even if somebody calls or report them, it's going to take at least four or five hours for the police to actually show up. And so those guys always get on my nerves because on Saturday nights before I have to preach the Word of God, they're up till four in the morning playing their loud music. And it'd be one thing, it was like obnoxious music, but they're like a cover band. So they play all these songs that I know, and I'm in the bed singing till three in the morning, like all these old Rolling Stone songs and Boston songs. And, and if those people never showed up in church, I'd be all right. Because I, I want to be church to be protected from people with mental illness and who, who stay up till four in the morning partying all night long. I, I'm all right with that. But you know, if we were honest with ourselves this morning, don't we all have herdmans in our life? Right? We, we have people in our life that we want to invite to new community, right? Those, those neighbors that we get along with, those neighbors that invite us over for dinner, perhaps they're the same social economic class, perhaps it's somebody at work that you work well with and you do projects together and you think, I need to invite him to new community. But if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have herdmans in our life. There are people that we interact with 
daily, if not regularly, who we think, I hope they never show up here. I really hope they don't. Maybe it's that coworker of yours that does half the work but gets twice the promotions. And you think, I hope they never show up here. Perhaps it's that fellow classmate that's always cheating, always cheating, always getting ahead. And you think, if that obnoxious fool shows up here, I hope he never does. And all of us, again, if we're honest with ourselves, have herdmen's in our life. The people who bully us, who lie, who steal, who cheat, who seem to be getting ahead in life. So here's a question that we're going to answer this morning. How does God want us to deal with the herdmen's in our life? Does everybody here have a herdman in their life? Okay. Keep your hand up if you're sitting next to him this morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. See, my, I heard my mother-in-law laugh. If I was sitting next to her right now, she'd be like raising her hand right now, high in the air. Um, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. How does God want us to deal with the herdmen's in our life? Uh, this lesson I learned in this play, the best Christmas pageant ever. Those people who steal, lie, abuse, bully, who push their weight around. The people that we think, man, if they ever show up at New Comedia, I hope they never do. How do we deal with those people? And before, I, before we look at what God has to say about it, you know what most of us try to do? is we try to get them to behave like we do. We try for what I call external reformation. We try to get them to act more Christian before they even are Christians. Let me give you a simple example. I don't know if that happens here in Chicago, but in the Bible Belt of San Antonio, there's this huge controversy right now. It's been going on for a while about Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. And so there's a group of Christians that are saying, if your store doesn't have like Merry Christmas banners and all the clerks don't say, have a Merry Christmas, you boycott that store. If they're saying, happy holidays, and they say, give your change, happy holidays, you boycott that store. I'm thinking to myself, number one, who cares? But number two, there are people... Anyway, we're trying to get non-Christians who may not even celebrate Christmas, don't even the reason behind Christmas, to say, Merry Christmas. And we don't even realize that the word happy holidays comes from another Christian term, happy holy days, right? So anyway, uh, we often will try to get non-Christians to act and behave and talk like Christians because what we're really trying to share is not Christ. What we're really trying to share is church culture, what I call churchianity or Christian culture trying to get them to act like we do, not because of internal reformation, but because of just going through the motions. And that's what happens with the the, the Herdmans in this story of the best Christmas pageant ever. All the church folk want them to get to act right before they come versus having open arms and accepting them. But look, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting too excited. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through uh, 13. We're going to look at that in brief this morning. Paul says this. How do we handle the herdmans in our lives? I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of this world. Verse 11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so called brother 
if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So he says this. Paul says, and he's living, uh, the church of Corinth is a very immoral city. And he says, rather than looking at all the immorality around you and looking at what all the herdmen's are doing, lying, cheating, abusing, stealing, and calling it out, he says, deal with the sin inside of the church first. Matter of fact, he says, not just first, he says only. He says, let God take care of the outside. He says, when it comes to the actions and behaviors of those on the outside, let God take care of that. But take care of the actions and behavior inside the family of God. Let me give you an example of that. Um, all the married men need to say amen on this one with me. Um, have you ever had your wife, you come home from a long day and have your wife and She's angry, visibly. Right? Anybody ever have that? And you begin to have the mental Rolodex in your mind, like all the stuff you've done since the moment you woke up till the time you got home, right? Did I leave something out? Did I leave something undone? Did I forget to say something? Do you ever do that? Is it just me? Thank you. I needed some help on that one. I felt like I was standing all along on the plank by myself, getting ready to just... So I come home one day, and my wife is visibly upset. And I'm thinking in my mind, what have I done? What have I done? Thinking, thinking, and do I need to run back outside and go get some chocolate and flowers and come back? And I said, honey, why why are you so mad? And she said, I just got back from the Christian bookstore. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, she said, I just got back from, like, the satanic bookstore. That would make sense. You know, I was, somebody slaughtered a chicken and the blood got on my new shirt or something. But no, she said, I just got back from the Christian bookstore. And so I asked her, I said, well, what, what, what happened there? What, what happened? And she said, we were there. My, uh, Kimmy and Grace were with me. We were just picking up a few things. And a little boy, probably about the age of eight or nine years old, was talking to his mom and saying, Mom, I want this. And the mom said, honey, no, we're not going to get that today. And so then... The boy began to raise his voice. No, I want this, I want this, I want this now. And the mom says, honey, we, we don't have the money. We're not going to get it today. The boy goes, I want it, I want it, I want it. And the only reason I'm not going to buy it is because you hate me, you hate me, you hate me. And at this point, see, my wife, her blood is beginning to boil a little bit, right? She sees this act of buffoonery and she thinks, oh, maybe I need to step in. You know, put the Wonder Woman outfit in and just step in there. And then she said, before you knew it, it escalated to the point where in this Christian bookstore, this young boy begins to punch his mom in the face with his fists. And at this point, the mom is embarrassed, so she kind of takes the boy outside and kind of walks outside. And my wife said, I was about to ask the woman, do you, do you need a little help here? Can I take your son into the bathroom and we'll take care of business in the bathroom? <laughs> But she couldn't do that because that boy was not her child, right? Now, if my daughters over here were to act a fool like that in a Christian bookstore, my wife would instantly snatch them up, take them into the bathroom, and take care of business. And what the church has been doing, it seems like, is we become the moral police in this world trying to spank everybody else's children and not taking care of our own children, 
We're not taking care of our own morality inside the walls of the church or inside the body of Christ. Not these literal walls, but inside the body of Christ. So Paul says here, he says, when it comes to the outsiders, those who are cutting up on the outside, who aren't part of the family of God, he says, don't worry about being the moral police and chastising and disciplining them. But he says, handle your business on the inside. Then he gives further notice to us. He says, in uh, chapter 6, next chapter, And before I, before I uh, move on to, I've been listening to a little bit too many Jeremiah Wright sermons lately. Let me put a little faith footnote here, as he always says, right? Um, I've been hearing from a lot of, of, of both Christians and non-Christians lately three words when I ask the question, why aren't you part of a local church, a local body? And those three words are always this. I've had a bad church experience, right? How many, just honestly, have ever had a bad church experience? Pastor that ran off of money, immorality, hypocrisy, lying, see anybody, bad church experience? And so the first, for those people, maybe there's some herdmans here today, people that have always felt like on the outside, never felt comfortable inside a church because people have said, those type of people, those type of, shouldn't be in church. And so on behalf of at least our church and here, uh, I just want to apologize. I know often it's done out of pride. A lot of Christians are very self-righteous, thinking that they're better than others. But secondly, uh, sometimes it's done out of ignorance, out of ignorance, you know. Uh, and I'm sure you understand that being in a multi-ethnic church. Because uh, I get that all the time. When I was in college, the college I went to was a, um, uh, a polytechnic school. We had a school of ag, business, and engineering and so most of the Asian students who were on campus were in the School of Engineering. So I'd go to this church, a large, predominantly white church, and I'd shake, my, shake hands with people around me during the greeting time, and they always get my name wrong. You know, so I'd say, hi, my name is Icky. And a little lady, oh, your name's Ricky. No, ma'am, it's Icky. Oh, Nikki. No, 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 it's Icky. And she'd go, oh, Mickey, good to meet you, Mickey. And then she'd always ask, so what kind of engineering are you studying? Computer science, mechanical engineering? And I'd say, no, ma'am, I'm actually in the school of agriculture. I'm studying animal science. And see, I didn't instantly blast her for being like a racist or you stereotyping me or whatever, because I knew she just didn't know. She had never met another Asian in the school of ag who would, like, uh, I'd show sheep and have cattle and all that stuff. She had never met anybody like that. So for those herdmans that are here today who've always felt like on the outside of a of the church, apologize. Sometimes it's just done out of ignorance. But here's the thing. I thought of this. This is my faith footnote. Bad church experience. How many of y'all have ever had a bad L-train experience? Anybody have a bad L-train experience? Right? I had one the other night. We were coming from here back to downtown Chicago, and this guy just started cussing out loud. To everyone, just, I, I was sitting there like, I can see if you're like yelling at somebody, right? But he just started, you know, and the whole mental illness thing, I'm sure there was there. I had a bad L-Train experience. Well, let me ask you, those of you who've ever had a bad L-Train experience, did you stop tracking the L-Train forever, right? You said, I'm done with this, never again. How many of you have ever had a bad experience in school? Bad school experience. Anybody had a bad school experience? You had a bad school experience? 
Your grades weren't as high as you thought, right? That's what you told them, right? Yeah, I've had that too. So you know what you can do? Stop going to school. Stop going to school. That, that's the key. So a lot of us are looking for an excuse to not be a part of a church, and so we use those words, bad church experience. Matter of fact, in San Antonio, again, the buckle on the Bible belt, Christian radio station did a survey. 60% of their listeners, almost two-thirds of their listeners, weren't part of a local church. The number one reason why? Bad church experience. And yet, this is the reason why I think that happens, is because we place a super high expectation on the local church. Now, the God we worship, the God we serve, is perfect. Amen? And often, I think we begin to expect that out of others. And it happens because of church culture. We put on our Sunday best. We act our best. And so people think that everyone is here is at their best. They're perfect. When we're imperfect people becoming more perfect through a process serving a perfect God. And yet, it seems like with the L train and school and work, right, all of us have had a bad work experience, but we just didn't, you know, like put our resignation letter in that day because if we don't work, we don't eat, right? So all of us have these expectations. So for those of you who've been hurt by the local church, I apologize, but I'm hoping that's not because of super high expectations that you've placed, ones of perfection on the local church, its members, and its leaders, Matter of fact, this is something that Paul does to remind us. Look at verse 9 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor violers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know if you believe that the kingdom of God is either uh, an actual place or more of a realm or a rule. Regardless, he's saying the serious consequences. But verse 11, here's a reminder. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. For those of you who are English majors, perhaps you can help me. That were is in the past tense. He says you need to remember where you came from. Let me give you a reminder. Here's, here's one of the ways that we handle the herdmans in our life is to remember that you were once a herdman yourself. That's what he's saying here. In the economy of God, in the economy of God, not your economy, but in the realm of God, all of us once were outsiders. All of us once were herdmans. And he says, that's who you were. So don't forget where you came from. I was helping my best friend uh, start a business, and uh, he's got a large five-bedroom house, and, and, and it's just, see, in, in Texas, this is going to make you want to move to Texas, you can buy like a five-bedroom house, brand new, for about $200,000. Huge house. And so we began talking about housing. I told him we were going to refinance. He's a former CPA, so I was talking about all our, you know, how much it costs and how much... And he says, Icky, I really don't care. You know, even if my business I'm starting goes belly up, I can live anywhere. He says, because I've never forgot where I came from. So he's African-American, grew up single mother. Uh, Actually, his dad was kind of in and out of his life, actually. Anyway, he said, Icky, I remember growing up, living in an apartment all my life. And 
always having people above us, next door to us. And so he said, someday when I'm an adult, I want to live in a house with no one above us, no one to the right of us, no one to the left, and no one below us. And you can say that in Texas. You probably can't say that in Chicago. But he says, that's where I want to live. And he said, the other thing I remember growing up was we don't have to go to the washeteria. So we would take our clothes, walk down the washeteria, load in the clothes washer, put the coins in. Sometimes the machines weren't working, so we'd have to unload, put in another machine, put the quarters in. And he said, often we'd go away for a while and come back, and somebody'd dump all our clothes on top of the washer or something. He said, oh, it was a pain. So he said, I decided when I became an adult that I would get a house and have a washer and dryer of my own. But one thing with Tommy is he never forget where he came from. He never forgot. And for a lot of us here, perhaps we've been Christians so long, we've forgotten where we've come from, that we were once all herdmen's ourselves. But what happened? What happened? Uh, lastly, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very beginning. This is the theme of Paul's ministry and the theme of the play, uh, the best Christmas pageant ever. Verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Here's a quick test. What word repeated twice there? Grace, grace, grace. He says the thing that changed you from what you once were to what you now are is grace. Is grace. And if you remember in the play, the best Christmas pageant ever, and again, this was a shouting moment for me, it was Grace Bradley, Charlie Bradley's mom, who had to take over directing the play. And she was the one that welcomed the herdmans with open arms. All the other church members were gossiping and slandering them. And yet here was Grace Bradley who personified her name and opened up her arms. And in the climactic scene of the movie, because no family in the church would give up their newborn baby to be baby Jesus in the play because they didn't trust the Herdmans, they had a little plastic baby Jesus. And there's the Herdman girl, I think it's Imogene, who's playing Mary In the climactic scene, she's holding the baby Jesus, a plastic baby. But she's had this experience with grace. And she looks up. And I don't know uh, uh, Barbara Robinson's faith background there. I don't know if she's a Christian or not. But there's so much, there's so much parabolic truth in that. Is that through this encounter with grace, the Herdman's. Learn the true meaning of Christmas. I mean, happy holidays. Just kidding. So they learn the true meaning of Christmas and have an encounter with Christ. So this is what we're supposed to do with the herdmans in our life. Whether they're the, the person who's waiting outside your door every morning when you come out or the person at work, is give grace. Two, two words. When you go to work tomorrow and, and that guy at your work who is the herdman in your life is bragging about all the stuff he did over Christmas and he's just doing it to make you jealous, you give grace. 
What is grace? That's a term that we use so, so much. It's, it's kind of twofold. One is giving what's beneficial or essential with no strings attached. No strings attached. And we miss that because even in Christmas, right? At Christmas we give gifts. We give gifts. But they're usually there's strings attached. You're married to me. Here's a gift. You're in my family. Here's a gift. But it's giving what's essential, beneficial, with no strings attached at all. And secondly, it's divine enablement. It's the the ability that God gives you. Because being kind, being generous to people where there may be no return at all, with no strings attached, we are naturally selfish and self-absorbed. And to do that takes divine enablement. But God wants us to be conduits of grace. That's how we deal with the Herdmans in our life, is to be conduits or channels or pipes of God's grace. But here's the thing. There's three ways, and this is why this is a risky message. Three things. There are three ways that you can respond to grace. Whenever you're gracious to somebody, full of grace, to the Herdman in your life, number one is they can take advantage of it. Right? Amen? Isn't that our greatest fear always? Is that if we're kind to this person or help this person with a project, they're going to take credit for it. That's the risk of grace. Here's the thing. If you want to know the secret to a happy marriage, the secret to a happy marriage is when the husband tries to outgrace his wife and the wife tries to outgrace her husband. But the reason why most of us will never go there is because we think to ourselves, if I outgrace my wife, she may take advantage of it and not do in return what I want her to do. But if both people are trying to outgrace each other, that makes for, as Chuck Swindoll says, a well-oiled marriage. So the first response is take advantage. Secondly is this, uh, resistance or rejection. Because the world we live in is based on you do for me and I'll do for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. When you do something with no strings attached, people are like, this is weird. You're going to help me with a project at work and you really don't care if you even get the credit? I may get the promotion, you may get the demotion, and you're all right with that? And so they may go, that's kind of spooky. I don't want that. And that's probably what happened. If you look at some of the, the messages of Peter when he preaches, they, they rejected the Messiah. He, he was foreign to them. They didn't understand grace. They were much more comfortable with, with law. Third, the third thing is this, is it changes us. Grace changes us. When we encounter grace, it changes us. And not externally, like external reformation. Say the right things, do the right things, go to the right places, stop cussing. We say in Texas, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go out with women who do, right? I violate all three of those rules when I marry my wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so God wants us to be channels of grace. He wants his grace to flow through us, not to stop with us. So when God blesses us, 
And we think, oh, this is all for me. No, he wants us to flow through us. Let me give you an example of that. Peter is right. I love to run. And one day when I first moved to San Antonio, I was running through an industrial section of San Antonio. And there in San Antonio, in the industrial area of the town, there was a huge warehouse. And it was a pipe shop. They sold pipes for homes. And they had brass pipes, these yellow brass pipes. They had these white PVC pipes. They had these black iron pipes. And they had these brown copper pipes, right? And I ran by this pipe shop looking at all these pipes that they had. They were all going to go in some building and water would flow through those pipes. And again, maybe I was running too hard and I didn't have enough oxygen going to my brain, but I really believe that God spoke to me at that moment saying, Icky, Christians are just like those pipes. I said, well, what do you mean, God? He says, because all those pipes will eventually go into one house, whether it's a brown pipe, a yellow pipe, or a white pipe, or a black pipe, all those pipes will eventually go into one house, and the duty, the purpose of those pipes is for water to flow through them, right? And he says, that's what the house of God is, is all these different colored pipes, because we're all different on the outside. We have black pipes, like my wife, right? We have white pipes, any white PVC pipe people in here? White pipes? All right. We have, we have, uh, uh, we have bronze pipes, the brown pipes. Any, any of my Latin brothers and sisters in here? Bronze pipes. Oh, did I forget some colors? There's people back here like, oh, you forgot my... Black and white pipe. All right. My daughters are half black, half Japanese. We call them blackanese. So they're, they're like a mix then, I guess. But all of us, regardless of the exterior color of the pipe, God wants his grace to flow through us. And so when we encounter the Herdmans in our life, we shouldn't be like Charlie Bradley says, I'm just glad to be in new community because the people at my job who always get on my last black, white, Asian, Hispanic nerve, they're not here. So I'm happy about that. No. He says when you encounter the Herdmans in your life, you give them grace. Give them what's beneficial, essential to them with absolutely no strings attached, and ask for divine enablement because it's something beyond you that his grace would flow through you. So here's the thing. I know this week, even as we go back to work tomorrow, maybe even as we go out to eat today, we're going to interact with the herdmans in our life. But here's the key, two things. Remember that you were once a herdman. And can you imagine what would happen to you if God was on the outside looking in and constantly rejected you? And yet, he accepted you fully in Christ. Fully in Christ. And secondly, to give grace. Now when you give grace, it's going to be risky. Because there may be some who take advantage of it. Secondly, they may reject it, resist it. But third, God may use you as a pipe, as a conduit that God would change these people's lives. He would change their hearts on the inside. But again, the problem that we've done is we've created these local churches to be sanctuaries, to be separate from the herdmen in our life. I was, I was on the, uh, and I'm still, I'm still trying to understand, like, Chicago culture. I was on the L train, 
Why does Richard Daly have his name like everywhere? I'm still, I'm still trying to really figure that out because he's doing all this stuff, giving himself a pat on the back, but he's spending y'all money to do it. You know, like if he wanted, if he was buying the stuff and doing it himself, but I'm still, anyway, the L train had this message from Richard Daly that said, hey, if you're feeling sick, you're not feeling well, you stay home, right? The whole swine flu or H1N1, the PC term, right? If you're not feeling well, stay at home. He's saying simply quarantine yourself. Keep it within yourself. And in effect, Peter, that's what we've done with the local church. We've quarantined ourselves so that we may not affect others with this grace virus. This, the work of God virus. We've quarantined ourselves because we shut ourselves off from the Herdmans in our life. And once again, I apologize on behalf of Christians everywhere for this pride and ignorance. But we can change this world. And God may use you to change the herdmans in your life if you'll give grace. Remember, you were once a herdman, so give grace. Um, let me close with this. Oh, I need to say something about Jillian, too. Is Jillian like the most soulful Asian person you've ever met? Isn't she? I know she's from like L.A. and maybe like they have... They, they raise Asians differently in L.A. I, I don't know. I'm from Northern California, so they're, you know, the words that usually go with Asian aren't soulful Asians. It's usually like disciplined Asian, I guess. But I was watching the uh, Spurs play the Lakers, and that's why I thought Jillian, the Lakers. I don't know if you're a Lakers fan, but watching the Lakers play the Spurs, and, and, and there's a guy on the team. He's now with the Warriors now, but during that time, he's with the Lakers. His name was Roni Turioff. And this guy was incredible. He wasn't as athletic as Kobe Bryant. He wasn't soaring through the air, having these incredible dunks and these huge jump shots with perfect arc. But he was hustle personified. He was everywhere on the court. He was setting screens. He was boxing out. He he was all over the court. And then even when he was on the bench... He was the loudest cheerleader. It was incredible. Everyone else is just drinking their Gatorade, have the towel over their head. He's cheering for his teammates. Loud. Roni Turioff is excited about the game. He's playing the game with energy and hustle and passion. And I wondered, why is this man playing at a cut above everyone else, even though he's not the greatest athlete? And I hate to say it, he's not playing for the greatest team either. But anyway... Why is he playing with so much vigor and vim? And the commentator gave me insight into his world. And he says, if you remember Roni Turioff, when he was drafted by the Lakers with a 37th pick, two weeks later, it was discovered that he had a heart condition. He had a heart problem. He had an enlarged aortic valve. And so instantly the Lakers said, no deal. But in good faith, they paid for him to have surgery on his heart. And normally the surgery requires about a six month to year rehabilitation, but he came back less than six months later. And so the commentator said the reason why he's the loudest cheerleader, the reason why he's the most active player is because his heart's been changed. His heart's been changed. And though it's his physical heart, his his heart's been changed. And you know what? When we give grace and live grace, 
what happens is the Hardmans that we've been trying to, the Herdmans that we've been trying to fix their exterior, do all these right things. He says, you know what happens? Their heart changes. Their heart changes. And soon they're boxing out and calling for the post and setting screens because their heart has been changed. Their heart's been changed. I must have banned it. Come on up. And I'm going to pray as we close. But if you're here today, what I want you to do is, is, is just remember, think about who are the herdmen's in your life? Is it that neighbor that's banging on the wall so three in the morning that every time you confront them and talk to them, they just laugh in your face? Is it that coworker who takes credit for the work that you do? Is it for that person in your class that's always bullying you, picking on you? Would you join me in prayer as we pray for us? that we would give grace. God, I thank you uh, that you use my wife to prompt me to go to this play with my daughters. God, I don't even know where Barbara Robinson is in terms of faith, but God, this play spoke to me. You spoke to me, God. God, all of us here have herdmans in our life. God, people who are on the outside that we want to fix, that we want them to do right, to adopt Christian culture and actions. God, I pray that we would give grace, the grace of you. God, that we would not only uh, give it, but God, we would live it and embody it as well. God, you can use us as conduits, as pipes, that your grace, your kindness would flow through us. And God, I pray right now, God, um, I'm sure in a crowd like this, there's, there are herdmen's here. There are people that have felt so distant from you. Because, God, the, the logic goes, if the local church is off limits, then Christianity is off limits and essentially Christ is off limits. But God, I pray for those today who've always felt like that, God, that they would feel and experience acceptance from you. God, that they would trust Christ, knowing that in Christ that we are fully accepted, fully welcomed by you with open arms. No matter what we've done, God, no matter what we have not done, fully accepted because of your grace. And God, I, I pray a prayer of forgiveness, God, on behalf of all of us. God, we pray. God, would you forgive us for looking down, for creating walls, or like Isaiah 62 says, putting boulders, rocks in the path of people who are coming to you with our legalism, God, with our rules, with our judgmentalism, God. Forgive us, God, I pray. Again, God, I pray that we would be conduits, pipes, God, that your grace would flow freely through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.